Well, we're going to be continue going through our series passages. I've, again, heard a great response from you guys of you, as you've been hearing from people in our community that have been sharing uh, with us how God has ministered to them through the passages of Scripture. And today we're going to be having Kevin come up and share with us. And, and you might know Kevin. He's, got, uh, he's pretty famous right now. There's a picture that's coming up. There it is. If you go to the San Antonio Hospital, and you'll see this picture as you go into the main entrance of San Antonio Hospital. He is famous right there by the fire hydrant. Uh, Kevin and Julie do lead the couple's studies, and so they've been a great blessing to us. Uh, he's been a, a good friend for many years, and I've seen uh, the faithfulness that he has had and her, his service to God and so I'm excited that we get to hear a little bit from him this morning. And so let's welcome Kevin. Well, good morning, everyone. Is this uh, good enough here, Gil? Okay. Let's go ahead and, uh, and open in prayer. Father, we thank you for this word that you have given us that is able to change our lives and change our thoughts we thank you for your son who has saved us and your spirit who enables us to walk with you day by day. Uh, Lord, may the words that I speak be encouraging to you, uh, encouraging to, uh, to the brethren here. And Lord, help us to, to bless you in all that we do. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you again, Sam, for the opportunity to, to come up here and, uh, and share with you all some of the things that... Um, Specifically, one of the things, I guess, that God has opened his word uh, to me to change how I think and how I act and, and, uh, and how I live. When we look at the Bible that we have, I think probably most of us realize that it is not a book that is strictly a bunch of words. But as God says about it, his word is living and powerful. Uh, his word is a lamp to us. It's a light to us. Uh, his word is better than life, he says. That, that and a multitude of other things. So we realize that we have uh, a, special, a special thing here. Uh, it's not like reading your novel. It's not like reading the newspaper. And I hope we all realize that. I hope everybody in here can think about many times in their own life where God has, has set aside something for them that then changes who they are. And then as they go through life, Another word, and it changes who they are. So ultimately, as you progress through your life, you see that you are now something that is so far from what you used to be because of what he has done. And that is certainly what he has, has done for me. I can remember when I was first saved about uh, 12 years or so ago, thinking of Romans 8.28 and what that meant to me uh, at the time. And it was such an important verse, as a matter of fact. Mary, here you go that uh, when we were out on some kind of rock climbing trip, she grabbed a rock and, and uh, cleaned it up and actually wrote that verse for me, and it still sits on, uh, on my dresser today. Um, and that was, it was very important to me because it demonstrated the, um, the, just the care and concern that God had for me. So thank you for that, Mary. I told you you'd make it. Um, about eight years or so ago, going through uh, a little struggle that I was having. I was a, a Mount Sac student. We'll get to the, the real verse in just a, a second. But I was a student over at Mount Sac. I was taking classes in preparation for uh, nursing school. It was well before that. 
And I was also serving in Sunday school over at Calvary Chapel of Upland. Enjoying that, was uh, it was a good time. And then one day, it seemed like out of the blue, um, I had just a, a pretty good amount of anxiety to the point where I would call it more like a panic attack. And I'd kind of had that before, so I knew the feelings and I knew how, how devastating it felt, you know, to the point where in my mind I was thinking, I, I can't continue school. There's no way in the world I could teach Sunday school because I just didn't have the focus. I didn't have the, the ability to interact and I understood what that was like because I went through it before. And so after a number of days, I went and talked with, uh, with my pastor, Randy, at the time. And the word that, that he gave to me, which was straight out of here, was after listening to that, are these things going to move you? You know, talking about Paul, and as Paul had said, you know, but none of these things move me. And once again, it's amazing the power of the word of God to change us because in that, you know, clearly the answer had to be no, these things won't move me, but I don't know how I can get past this kind of a thing. And yet by that night, it was done. By that night, I was studying back for, for class again for a test the next day. You know, I was ready to be serving again in children's ministry with a clear head and with a clear thought and with a great testimony to the power of God the next day to, to students who I was in that class with. And that's the important thing about his word is that he is able to, to sustain us throughout, uh, throughout our lives. But I also didn't want this to be a time of just looking back. You know, none of us want to have our walk be, oh, remember the good old days. Remember when we were close with Jesus. Remember, you know, none of us want that because the relationship that I want with him, the relationship that I hope that you want with him is a vibrant relationship. It's living in it. It changes day by day, and it's not locked into what happened 12 years ago or eight years ago or even two years ago. But it's moving, and he's talking to us and talking to you and, and to me as we go through our lives. When I think about where I am now and when Sam first asked me about this, the verse that immediately came to my mind because it was already in my mind for probably about three years or so now was Ephesians 6, 4, and it talks about fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. To understand why that became important to me, probably need to understand a little bit of my background. Um, at about, I'm guessing now, 22 years old or, or something like that, at that time I realized I didn't want kids. I was not interested in uh, and being a father, I was much too selfish for that. I had higher aspirations of my life being full of uh, uh, just fun seeking and rock climbing and mountaineering and all of that stuff. And you certainly can't do that with a little kid in tow. So at about that age, I actually had a vasectomy. Because I figured, I'm not going to have kids. Let's be done with it. And, uh, um, and then it won't happen. I won't have anything to worry about. Not thinking, of course, toward the future. Not giving a, a concern toward the future. So then I'm saved, great, got a, a new life in Christ, new ideas, new friends, a, a, whole, a whole new life. Um, hadn't really thought about kids just yet. And then as I started teaching in, uh, in Sunday school, and I remember that the first, the first family that I can recall seeing that, that helped change my way of thinking was seeing the Boldas. You know, and here I see uh, this husband, this wife, 
four girls, Lord help him, Lord help Jay, I don't know. But um, four girls and a wife, so that makes it five. But I saw them and I realized, you know, this is, this is a life that, uh, that God gives. And, and that's, that's when things started changing for me. But it didn't matter. I was single, so no problem. But ultimately, as time progresses, I meet Julie. We become friends. We get married. And then there's this issue of, okay, and, and we had talked about it beforehand, of, you know, what are we going to do about kids? She wanted kids. I certainly want kids now, but I've had a vasectomy, so that's not going to happen unless God does some amazing things. And ultimately, I had a surgery, and we have Grace and we have Caleb. And that's an amazing story in itself. But where it pertains to this verse is now I have these kids and the desire of my life and the goal of my life is no longer just me because that, of course, changed when I got married, but even more so when I had kids. And so this verse came about and I thought about it a lot. I wanted to make sure that my job as a father, that how I acted towards them, how I spoke to them, didn't cause them distress in their life, undue distress. They have to have distress. They're children, I'm the father. So it has to be that way, but it has to be correct. And when I would look at this here, it's talking about me. It's talking about how I am supposed to act with them. In the earlier part of... Uh, of Ephesians chapter 6, the first few verses, it actually talks to the kids, but this verse talks to me. And when I think of the word provoke, there's actually another, um, uh, another. well, we'll just say it comes from the Amplified Bible, so it's a more amplified way of looking at that verse. And it says basically the same thing, but gives it more of an idea of what God's talking about. Fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger, do not exasperate them to resentment, but rear them tenderly in the training and discipline and counsel and admonition of the Lord. And so when I think of that word exasperate, um, if you don't know what it means, it means to excite the anger of or to cause irritation or annoyance to. I think it's in the word itself. I think when everybody hears exasperate, you just know what it means. And it conjures up this picture of, in this sense specifically, of a child who is, whether it's a young child or an older child, who is living in rebellion to their parents. And yet, the verse isn't talking about the children. Again, that's the first three verses that talk about, um, just kind of open that up and it, it tells how they should live. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the, the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Well, that's for them. But the next one was for me. The next one tells me how I'm supposed to act. That's God telling me, this is for you now. If you want to raise kids the right way, you have got to, um, to make sure that you are, are loving them and acting well with them and talking with them appropriately. And Julie and I have talked about this a lot, well before... Sam asked me here, you know, we check in with each other to see how are, how are we doing, you know, how do you think I've been? And I've had to be honest with her and she's had to be honest with me about how sometimes it's been easy and sometimes it, it hasn't been so easy. And there are certainly times that we have failed and times when I have um, 
had to apologize and seek forgiveness, specifically from grace. You know, poor Caleb, he's too young to kind of uh, know any of this right now. But it's something that we encourage one another with, that we would be able to, um, to become better parents uh, to them because it's, it's, a, it's a very, very important thing for them. So we talk to each other, and we want to, we want to be an encouragement to one another. In that, if my child rebels for their own sake, then their sin is on them, and, and you know that's certainly not what I want. But if they rebel because of me, if they rebel because I am mean to them, if I am uh, unduly angry with them and yelling at them, whatever it is, if they rebel because of that, that's on me. And though God may forgive me, and wipe away that guilt, that's probably not going to take away the feeling of guilt that I would have. And that's not something that, um, that I want to live with. So I've dwelt on the verse. What, is it, what does it mean? If I am not to, to provoke them, if I'm not to exasperate them, what does that mean? How can I best love my children? And what does it look like to them? Well, it means just what it says. I can't provoke them. I don't want to be teasing them. I can't egg them on. I can't talk to them in words that are demeaning, that are uh, rude, that are, uh, that are angry. I can teach them and do all that stuff and still not use anything like that. I can discipline their behavior but not demean their spirit and, and take their dignity and make them feel like daddy doesn't love them because look at how he's acting. You know, he's mean, he's mad, he's yelling and all of that. That's, um, that can't be a picture of who I am. Uh, ultimately, I realize that if I am supposed to love my wife as Christ loves the church, and if I am supposed to put others' needs, including my children, before myself, that I then have to come next. And I have to change how I think and how I act to put myself in that proper position. So I've concluded that if I'm not going to provoke them, what does it look like? Two things. I, I think there's probably an indirect way that I have figured that I can provoke them. And, and part of that would mean that I'm not there. So I figured out that for me to be a great influence on them and to love them and have them know that I love them, I have to be there for them emotionally and physically. And you know, as the man of the house, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work enough to where Julie doesn't have to. And that means there's going to be a lot of time that I'm not there. So the time that I do have, that I do have available, I've got to give that to them. And as much as it's important, you know, that, that I know for men to be together with, uh, with men to encourage one another and for Julie to be together with, uh, with her friends, I have to keep in mind that those two kids come first. I went on a, a hiking trip the other day, and it wasn't a long one, but Grace was totally expecting me to be there that day because it wasn't a, a day that I had to work, and it didn't go over well when she found out that Daddy was going hiking. These are things that I have to think about because if I were to have a continual um, habit of doing that, well, that would be just like provoking her or exasperating her. She would think, does daddy love me? Does he care about me? How come he doesn't want to be with me? And ultimately, Caleb would think those same things. He's too young right now to probably um, to know that, but she's not. So I have to, I have to really um, 
keep that in mind and remind myself that my life is not about me anymore. I think about that song, Cats in the Cradle, and many people here know about that. It's all about that. It's all about a father who um, has kids or a man who has kids, but he has this other life that he wants to live, and so he puts them off and puts them off and puts them off. And ultimately, as they get older and older, now the child's a teenager, and he wants to, uh, to have his life. And then ultimately, the dad becomes old enough to where you know, all of those things are past him, and he just wants to be with his family now. But the son, who's now married and has a life of his own, says, sorry, uh, I got my own thing going on, you know. The father blew it. He exasperated him, and he lost his family because of it. I have to be there with him. You guys have to be there with your kids. If you have them right now, if they're that age, be with them. Put them in such a position where they will never question your love or, or their, your devotion to them. The second part of provoking them, this is more of a direct thing. This is how I, I talk. Uh, my words must be kind and loving and gentle, and I know there's times when they haven't been, and there's never an excuse for that. There's never an excuse for me to be mean or rude or demeaning, and it doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter if they broke a jar in a store yesterday. Um, and that was a little lesson for us yesterday, and, and I think I got a whole lot better then than I was earlier. But, you know, even Julie and I talked about that until late last night. How could I have, you know, been differently? How could my, you know what I mean, you know, my words have to be, they have to be kind, they have to be um, seasoned with such a love in them that she knows that even if she's in trouble, or Caleb ultimately, when he's in trouble, that it's clear that the trouble doesn't mean a lack of love. It doesn't mean, oh, I don't care, or anything like that. If I get to that place, and I've noticed it clearly within myself, if I get to that place where I start talking like that, then it's my fault. It's my sin. It's my turn to repent and, and ask forgiveness. And I've had to do that as well, and it's a very humbling position when you know that you've done something to hurt your children, and you have to go um, seek their forgiveness. And they don't totally understand it necessarily, but boy, you still have to do it. And it hurts in here when you have to do that because you know that that was an opportunity that I could have had um, in loving them better. And God helped me to have that be less and less and to be more and more of an encouragement and less and less of a, man, I blew it, and I figured that out five seconds after the fact. You know, I want to know that in my mind beforehand because of the things that God has done in me to change me so that there has to be less and less repentance and, forgive, and asking of forgiveness. Um, and I think that's, that's clearly there in both of our lives. We see so many times in the Bible, and we see it in this verse as well. We remind ourselves of it again. Fathers, do not provoke your children. There's the negative part of the verse. There's the do not. But then there's the positive part as well. There's the do. The, but do bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And it's a two-part thing there. Because if I'm not going to do something, then I've got to then do something else. It's not just, well, I don't want you to do this, and I don't want you to do this. It's, you know, it's, it's like that in all of our lives. Well, 
don't worship idols, but worship the true and living God. Don't, um, uh, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves as is common to some, but continue going to church so that you can encourage each other to love and good works. It's a lot of don't do this, but instead do this. And that's what the rest of this, the rest of this uh, passage really talks about. So I go to nursing school for six years or so, ultimately to become a nurse, uh, and then do six months more of on-the-job training so that I could, I could make sure that I don't kill anybody. And then I become a father, and I have the weight of these little children on me and on her, and what kind of instruction did I have to go through for that? Absolutely nothing. So I got to do all this stuff to be a nurse, but nothing to be a father, to be able to watch over these kids for whatever, how many years God's given them into our care. How am I going to become a good father? Am I going to just read, uh, uh, read the best self-help books out there or the best things on the radio or talk to other people? As a Christian, we know that our best source of every encouragement for living comes from his word. It's the things that's changed us. It's the things that has changed me. I have to get it from here and getting it from other people who are close with God and who have gotten it from here. That's the obvious answer. So when I look at, at all of this other stuff about, okay, if I'm not supposed to exasperate them, what, what do I need to do? Well, I need to train them. I need to discipline them. I need to counsel them. I need to admonish them. That's what the rest of it is supposed to be. In training, I need to invest my life in them which again means that I have to be there. I have to set aside time for them to where in a family devotion or a family worship, we can specifically talk about the things of God. I can teach them the important things. Julie can teach them the important things. And also not just in a, a specific time like that, but the times when you're out and about, the times when we're up in the mountains. Who made this? The times when, um, when we're... Um, out just walking around, driving around, and we see somebody in need, and we can help them. And she could be like, well, why? And we can tell her why. We can train them in so many different aspects, but we have to do it. It's my job. It's not the church's job over there or when she gets old enough to go, uh, where at? Over there and then, and then over there? That's just a supplement. It's my job. It's my responsibility to do that. As a mom, it's Julie's job. It's her responsibility. As parents yourself, it's your job and your responsibility. That's what God lays upon us. You know, my responsibility is not to go out and, and try and have as much fun as I can in this world. That's, that's not my life anymore. And there may be a time for that in a little bit when they get old enough to be able to join us on, on things like that, of course. Um, but it has to be towards them. That's my responsibility. And discipline. We have made it a point of our life to try and find out how God wants us to discipline our children in the, in the hopes that they are better for it. So in how we discipline them, it's not just for the purpose of, well, we want you to listen to us. And so if you don't listen to us, you're going to get in trouble. No, it's we want you to listen to us because God put us in authority. And he said to obey your parents in all things, for this pleases the Lord. And so when you listen to us, 
you are listening to God and bringing a smile to his face. But when you don't, you have to be disciplined for it. And we have to do that in the right manner. So many of the, the, uh, the verses in Proverbs, I wrote down a bunch of them because it seems like when it comes down to, uh, to discipline and that kind of thing, Proverbs is just full of them. I'm not sure exactly how many verses would be in there, but you know the ones that, uh, that I bring up today is just incredible. Uh, Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction or discipline shall drive it far from, uh, from him. And typically, when the Bible is talking about foolishness, it's not talking about, oh, just being a silly little child and, oop, I'm acting like a fool. But it, it typically has a connotation of wickedness and evilness. And so wickedness is bound up in the heart of a child. But if we correct and discipline properly, we can drive it far from him and help bring them closer to the heart of God. Proverbs 29:15, uh, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself, undisciplined, will bring his mother to shame. If we don't take the time to discipline our children correctly, in the story yesterday, if we just said, oh, it's no big deal, can someone clean it up, and we're going to go ahead and move on out. If we don't take that time as a learning lesson to sit down in the midst of all of these people over there and try and, and show her, and no, she didn't get a spanking for it or anything like that. She was broken up enough. But she had to be taught also that, you know, you have been told not to do this. You need to go apologize to, to whoever it was and ask forgiveness. And then ultimately when, uh, when we got home, she had to pay for it too. But that's a, a different story. We, we want her to be responsible. Um, and so we have to put in the time. We have to put in the effort to do that. That's what this discipline is all about because if we don't do it, he's going to bring and she's going to bring uh, their mother and father to shame. And we don't want that. And you don't want that. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: He who spares his rod of discipline hates his son, but he that disciplines diligently and punishes him early, but he that, that loves him disciplines diligently and punishes him early so that he can change, so that the father or the mother, so that I or Julie can ultimately change how Grace is and how Caleb is. And they have to understand, just like the, this verse says, and just like in, um, uh, in Hebrews, you know, he that loves disciplines. So when I discipline, it's not, oh, I'm not loving. Now, it is if I get mad and I get belligerent and I, you know, abuse. That's a whole different thing that, that we're talking about. But if I discipline correctly in the way that God uh, commands me to and, and tells me to, that's a demonstration of the fact that I, that I love her and that I love him. Uh, Proverbs 19.18, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and don't let your soul spare because he's crying. That's kind of how I, how I read into that. Yeah, it hurts, but, and it's no fun, but we still have to do it anyways. And, uh, of course, the ever-popular withhold not correction from the child. Uh, King James here, For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. So, if I don't discipline in that way, then I am not delivering his soul from hell. God help us to to do that in the right in the right heart, as we discipline, as we um, 
admonish, which we talk about next, to, to do it in the right heart. Admonition, you know, going back up to, um, you know, fathers, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Admonish means to correct their faults in a gentle manner. And I think if I correct their faults in a gentle manner, I'm not going to act, exasperate them. I'm not going to provoke them to that bitterness. But if I berate them in how I, I, um, in how I rebuke them, then they're just going to be broken. And eventually, sometime down the road, it's going to be, see a mom, see a dad, I don't need it. You know, I'm my own person now, and, um, you know, thanks for nothing. And, you know, it, it certainly can't, uh, can't be that way. When she makes a mistake, when she does what a four-year-old does, I need to gently correct her. I don't need to scold. I don't need to yell. And believe me, in my in my heart, in my soul, I know what that feels like when I do it. I don't even like yelling for her into another room. And Julie will, will attest to that. It just does something to me where I just feel like this is not right, how I'm talking with her. She doesn't need to hear me with my voice raised. If I have to get my voice raised to make a point with her, it probably means I should have spanked her a lot sooner. And I could have done that without any anger, without any uh, feelings of... Uh, Without any of those negative feelings that so often come with raising your voice to your children. I need to admonish them. I need to correct their faults in a gentle manner. Life became a whole lot more different when we had children. And thank God that he has given us a way to then adjust to that. Now that I'm a parent, now that I'm a father... He doesn't just say, okay, now you can do whatever you want. He gives us a word for that as well. He's given me a, a word uh, for that. And all I've got to do is listen. All I've got to do is obey. It's the same thing that we tell her. You've got to listen and obey. Or the, the verses that, that she'll learn. Hear the word of the Lord and do it. You know, my prayer for us and for myself and for all of you out here, for the, the body as a whole, is that we would be in such a place where our heart is ready to listen to God. I've told people at work lately, you know, God's not just interested in you going to church. He's interested in your whole life. And church is a part of it. And family worship at home is a part of it. And how you interact with, with your friends outside is, uh, is another part. And how you interact with your family uh, is, is other things. He's looking for our whole life. So God, give me the strength to give you my whole life as you have given your life to me. And, and might it be said of me when I'm 60 or, or 65, you know, that there's a man who still listens to God, who is still being spoken to by God. Because remember, that's what we want. We want that vibrant relationship. We want that living relationship. How awful it would be if we were just people that went to church, and I know there's places like this, and there's probably people like this in every church, but if all we did was go, and then that was it, and then the rest of the week, you couldn't give a rip or give a, a thought to him or to what he's done. So I hope this has been an encouragement for you. I know that not everybody is in this position, but for fathers out there, in whatever position that you're in right now, 
devote yourself to your kids. And if it seems like, you know, you've got some amends to make because of, of whatever, then make those amends. You know, God is able to restore the years that the moth and the locust and that bad decisions and that poor parenting, that mean words and mean actions have stripped away. So, fathers, be what God wants you to be. Your children, they're your responsibility. Be what God wants you to be. And I thank you, Lord, for for changing me. And I pray that day after day that my spirit would be able to hear your word and would change. And, Lord, I pray for, for all of us here that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would allow your word which is living and powerful and is able to discern and separate the thoughts and intents of our hearts, that is able to change us and and heal us. Lord, help us to humble ourselves before you, to allow your spirit to work in our lives and to allow your word to change us, to make us more into the image of who you are, Jesus. And we pray this in your name, Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. I'm not going to share anything uh, too much. Uh, just want to save time for breakfast and, and get you guys there with uh, some time to spare. But I, I do appreciate the things that Kevin had to share. And even as Beth was sharing there, I think there are some important lessons we have as parents uh, dealing not only with our children, but dealing with people and how not to be so caught up that we do not conduct ourselves properly. You know, as Kevin spoke about his daughter breaking the jar uh, there at the store, I I couldn't help but be reminded of the time when I was at Ikea with my wife. And, you know, those carts at Ikea, all four wheels swivel. They're pretty cool. And, And so I was walking with my wife, and I decided to spin one of the carts. because they're so cool. And I did not properly gauge the distance between the carts and the stack of wine glasses that were set like a pyramid. And so the edge of the cart just nicked the display. But it didn't matter to the wine glasses. About 30 of them toppled to the ground. And my wife said I looked like one of our children at that moment. (laughs) And she was so happy at that moment to say, see? And so it was a reminder that we all do foolish things, and sometimes our foolish things are bigger still. And yet we ask the Lord for mercy. We desire that mercy. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not a coincidence that the Lord says that as you give mercy, you are going to receive it. 
and it's a necessity. And once again, I was reminded of the necessity I need for forgiveness because of my foolishness and my poor wife. She had to raise five children. Uh, four of them are mine, and then there's me. Uh, but we all have to be, again, merciful and compassionate. We've been going through that in, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, how it's so easy to want judgment for others, but desire mercy for ourselves. And so, once again, I, I hope that the Scriptures have been an encouragement to us, that we recognize that these things written in these passages are able to redirect our lives. Next week is going to be our final segment on passages. Uh, Ted and I are going to be speaking. And so I encourage you guys to, again, come and be a part of that. And let's all stand together now as Danny comes up and we'll close in one last song and then remind you we have breakfast following for you guys. I think it's just about ready or it's going to be because, John, this is for you. It's going to be over soon. Uh, Just to let you know. God bless you guys.